Well, are we ready to get into the Word of God? Okay, we will then. Jesus had complete disdain for the way that the Sabbath was observed, Judaism's Sabbath, and He hit hard at the core of that religion. And He hit it smack dab in the middle, right in the eyes. So we're going to give a list of a few reasons why He disdained. These are just a few. I mean, there are many more other reasons. This is dealing with the Sabbath. A donkey could be led out of the stable on the Sabbath, but the harness and saddle had to be placed on him the day before. An egg could not be boiled on the Sabbath, either by normal means or by putting it near a hot kettle or by wrapping it in a hot cloth or by putting it in the hot sand outside. Uh, If the lights were on when the Sabbath came, Sabbath began at sundown, so you, you could not blow them out. If they had not been lit in time, then you could not light them. It was unlawful to move furniture on the Sabbath. There was an exception to this in that you were allowed to move a ladder on the Sabbath, but you could only move it four steps. It was unlawful to wear jewelry or ornaments on the Sabbath, since this might be construed as carrying a burden. It was not permitted to uh, wear false teeth on the Sabbath. Now, that must have been a hit in the synagogue services. You were allowed to eat radishes on the Sabbath, but you were warned against dipping them into salt because you might leave them in the salt too long and pickle them. And this was considered to be Sabbath-breaking. The Pharisees actually had discussions as to how long it took to pickle a radish. It was fine to spit on a rock on the Sabbath, but you could not spit on the ground because that made mud. And when you have mud, then you have mortar, and that's work. If a woman got mud on her dress, she was to wear it until it had dried, and then she was permitted to crumple the dress in her hands one time and crush it and then shake it out. If that didn't do the trick, then she had to wear it. (laughs) This is crazy. Can you imagine trying to go by all these rules which the people tried to? This is amazing. Pharisees change the Sabbath from what God originally intended it to do. These things are made... I mean, it just goes on and on. This is just a few, like I say. Uh, They wanted to uphold the law. They wanted to honor the law. And well, people should. But when they start writing into the law what it really means to make you look religious then that's where you have all sorts of problems. So against this social and religious ceremonial backdrop, and man, it's black, isn't it? We have two specific events that we're going to look at today that happens to be in the ministry of Jesus. And we can set these two events side by side in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke right here. They they have... All three of those have those two stories that we're looking at today that deals with the Sabbath. If Jesus was to expose 
how bankrupt and how apostate Judaism had come, he had to assault the Sabbath. He had to go in and rip it up, which he really did. You see that constantly through the Gospels where he gets questioned about what he did on the Sabbath. How did Jesus treat the Sabbath? Any way that he wanted. (laughs) He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the one that made it. He did not pay any attention at all to these ridiculous, stupid human rules. Matter of fact, he would go out of his way that so they would see him break their laws. He was defiant against what they had. He hated what they did. He disdained it. It was defying their ridiculous work system of traditions and how traditions come in and just blow away everything God had intended anyway. As a matter of fact, he would just stage his defiance. He would just make sure that they would see this and do it right in front of the leaders so that he would get truth across and that some people could come to the attention of what truth is about. It was a whole system of ceremony, non-biblical Sabbath. That's what was going on. It was apostate, works-oriented, nothing to do with grace and compassion and mercy. You find true Sabbath rest in Hebrews chapter 3. And Jesus is our Sabbath rest. The Sabbath has been fulfilled, hasn't it? It's been fulfilled. It's fulfilled in the person of Jesus. You don't have to worry about that fourth commandment. It's been done. In the sense that Jesus fulfilled that. That rest. A true Sabbath rest is Him. And so, when you think of what He did, He attacked it. He attacked this system. And it's at the zenith of conflict that the Pharisees and Jesus had throughout all of the Gospels. When you've attacked the Sabbath, you've actually attacked a high point of their religion. Everything is just built around that Sabbath. So what we need to do is pick up our Bibles and um, you know, I just now looked at uh, my outline. Do you guys see a problem with that? I think I've got chapter 5 there. I just now noticed that. We're actually in chapter 6, Dennis. <laughs> the first five verses. Uh, let's stand and, and let's read. Actually, it's more than five verses. We're going through 11. The first five verses, the first part. Jesus works on the Sabbath here. That's what we're going to see. Now it happened that He was passing through some grain fields on a Sabbath. And His disciples were picking the heads of grain. (gasps) Rubbing them in their hands. (gasps) And eating the grain. But some of the Pharisees said, Why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him how he entered the house of God, took 
and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for any to eat except the priest alone, and gave it to his companions. And he was saying to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and it was teaching. There was a man there whose right hand was withered. Scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath so that they might find reason to accuse him. But he knew what they were thinking. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Get up, come forward. He got up, came forward. Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save a life or to destroy it? After looking around at them all, He said to him, Stretch out your hand. And He did so. And His hand was restored. But they themselves were filled with rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come to You for help. We always need help from You. And any time we open up Your Word, we need help in understanding it. We need the power of Your Holy Spirit to guide us into this truth and get some more deeper meaning of who Christ is and who He is in our own lives. How much He really does matter in every aspect. And He is the One who is our rest. He is the One who sets us free from the bondage of man-made laws. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Chapter 6, the first five verses, we have the work and we have the Pharisees' objection. We have the biblical precedent. And we will see that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And then we'll get Him healing on the Sabbath. The word for Sabbath is sabbaton. And it means to cease. It means to rest. Actually, to really get it down into our vernacular, take a day off from your regular routine of work that you've done all week. Take a day off. Work. Rest. Cease from your labor. In other words, Sabbath. That's that's the idea. The Lord had commanded Moses to observe the seventh day of each week It was a day to commemorate the day in which God rested from His six-day creation. And He rested on the seventh. So the Sabbath was to be a day which all men would cease from their labors and give them the opportunity to really remember the Lord. And so that's, you know, we kind of symbolize that in our Sunday, don't we? course. So we get to see it in the law. It was later put in the law. It was established right in Genesis at creation. It's a good thing. It was never meant to be a burden. It's rest. And when somebody says, okay, take it easy now. Take Just take a break for a while. 
take a day off. Doesn't that sound good? It should, shouldn't it? Well, in Exodus 20, which is where you find the Ten Commandments, we see it put forth here. It's, it's funny. His commands really are not burdens. They're actually good. They're good for us, aren't they? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It says in verse 8, verse 9 says six days. You just labor and do all your work. By the way, uh, we have a five-day work week, but I can guarantee you on the sixth day, many of you are still working. You work around the house. Or some of you work around the house for six days or whatever, right? Seventh day, take it easy. Take off. You need a break. There's a, there's a day where you really need, your body needs rest. God knows that. We should really say, you know, that's a good idea. <laughs> that's what He did it for. You know, He knew what we needed. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God in it. You should not do any work. Oh, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Do you think he was tired so he could rest on the seventh day? God never gets tired from all that creation. He he never gets tired. But it was setting up a model of here is the seventh day rest. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Made it set apart. It's a good thing to have this rest, isn't it? So the Jews, of course they break that commandment all throughout their history. That's one of the reasons why God had to judge them. They turned it into a regular business day and they worked seven days a week. God had commanded them, don't do that. And they didn't have a day, really, they missed setting aside that special day. So later on you have the Pharisees and they want to make things right. So they interpret it for them. They change the Sabbath and what it was always meant to be. And they changed it into a burden. And they made all those rules which we just read earlier. be ridiculous to, to go by that. But uh, if you look at Matthew 23.4, let's take a look at the, the burden that's mentioned. Matthew 23, verse 4. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. (laughs) That's Jesus characterizing the Pharisees. And if you go through that chapter, you, you see all the woes. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. So, that's kind of what they did. Um... In Matthew 11, Jesus defined rest. And it is really one to take comfort in. Verse 27 says, All things have been handed over to Me by My Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. Anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him and then he's, there's God's will, there's God's purpose, there's God's sovereign grace. He's the one that draws us. And then you have the flip side of this where he says, come to me. Of course, all those who come to him will 
he will no wise cast out. Who are the ones that come to him? The ones that have been chosen. <laughs> so it's his sovereignty, his sovereign grace, and also our responsibility. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll give you Sabbath rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Not only your physical body, but your souls. Do you find rest today in Christ, right? You rest in that, in these promises. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Jesus didn't come to give us burdens that were heavy, too much that we can't handle. No, it, it is it's a light yoke. It's easy yoke. Burden is light. Jesus. Thank you, right? For making it so good. He defined right there what rest is. Our rest is in Christ. Our salvation is in Christ. We cease from our works. We it, in the sense of there's no such thing as work salvation. We trust in Christ. He's our Sabbath rest. So now that it happened, while he was passing through, we mentioned the Sabbath, he was passing through some grain fields. His disciples were picking the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands and eating there. Um, what they're doing is what the Pharisees described as reaping, you know, plucking, have a, you know, making the harvest here, and that's what it was. It was harvest time because it says they're in the grain fields and they're picking this, so it's harvest time. That's what time of the year we know that to be. That's not harvest time all year round, is it? Uh, but Luke picks this one as the other gospel writers do, and then the next series that we have, the same thing. Um, they pick kernels of wheat. And they rub them in their hands, and then that would get rid of the the husk, and then they just eat them. And that was reaping, threshing, and eating. They're harvesting these, and that it was perfectly legal to do what they were doing. They weren't stealing, even though they were in another man's field. It was okay to do that. Let's go to Deuteronomy in the law. Deuteronomy 23-25. It's not that the Pharisees are saying, oh, you're stealing. They're not saying that. It's about the Sabbath thing working. It says, when you enter your neighbor's standing grain, then you may pluck the heads with your hand. But you should not wield a sickle in your neighbor's standing grain. <laughs> You can you can pluck. What's that? Don't take it all. <laughs> Don't take it all. That's right. Don't be bringing in uh, wagonfuls. You know. You know. Taking those out of the field. And don't take it home. It's there to eat. If you're traveling, you're a sojourner, or if people were poor, there was uh, the edges of the fields that the farmers were to allow anybody, like the ones who kind of travel through the pathway through there, they could take of that. That's what God's law provided. And uh, so, you know, that that's a good thing. You know, and that's kind of how God takes care of, of people. Um, 
So you see the, the harvesting thing going on and that's what's happening. Uh, the disciples here are grabbing an afternoon snack. I take it they've probably been to synagogue in the morning. They go out in the afternoon and there's the food. They're hungry. So there was a purpose in this law. It's, it's kind of like a welfare system, but biblical welfare. This is how you take care of the poor, the ones who are hungry. And so that's what, uh, well, what they were doing that day. Now it's interesting that the Pharisees just happened to be around. Just happened to be there. Now, the issue here is the activity on the Sabbath day. It's the harvesting. It's the threshing. Working on the Sabbath. Picking and then going like that. You've just worked. That's the issue. The Mishnah, which the Jews... Uh, have written for people to understand what God's law is about. Have given, here's what this really means. There are 39 categories forbidding certain issues on the Sabbath. <clears throat> and reaping happened to be third on the list. Reaping. That's what, they're reaping this. To pluck a gray hair on the Sabbath. You've <laughs> probably heard that many times. That was prohibitive. That was not what you could do on the Sabbath. because, And so therefore, you weren't even allowed to look in a mirror on the Sabbath because you would be tempted to pluck out the gray hair. Uh, of course, obviously, with all the gray hair that I have, if I plucked out my gray hair, I wouldn't have anything left. So I wouldn't have had that problem. But um, that's what's going on here. Um did the Sabbath law in the Bible say anything about this whatsoever? So that's the whole point. What does God say about this? How did this ever get here? Well, out of honor to God and His commandments, that's how those rules got there. I put honor in quotes because that's not what God intended. That's how they interpreted They put their interpretation against Jesus interpretation. Which one do you want to follow, right? Pharisees accused the disciples here of Jesus and them of being Sabbath breakers. Forbid. That's like the worst thing you could possibly do. I can't believe they're doing this. That's why they were following them. Kind of I have to wonder if they were kind of hanging out, you know, kind of behind some of the Stalks and such, you know, kind of hanging out in the field, and when they saw the disciples, there they are. And then they start walking up to them. It's like the game wardens, you know. Where do those guys come from? <laughs> Luke five twenty one. Look at the complaining Pharisees in the chapter five, five verse twenty one. Do you remember the paralytic? Jesus healed him. Now the issue is not the Sabbath that day. Uh, it's just that they say in 21, the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason saying, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right? The issue is there is he just said that this man is forgiven. Only God can do that. So they're asking that kind of question. They're, they're reasoning this, you know. Jesus was aware of the reasonings. They didn't say anything, but He knew exactly what they were saying. And they were saying that, right? 
Well, that's one of them. Verse 30. You guys remember all these, right? Just a few weeks ago. Pharisees and the scribes began grumbling at His disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? Jesus ate with Matthew Levi and all of His friends who were tax collectors and sinners. And so they go and ask the disciples, why do you eat with them? Why do you socialize with them? Why do you even hang out with them at all? Don't you know that that's wrong? That's sinful? So that was the second grumbling that they had here. You know, 33, verse 33 of 5, And they said to Him, The disciples of John often fast and offer prayers. The disciples of the Pharisees also do the same. But you are, but yours eat and drink. So there it is about fasting. So healing the paralytic, then it's about hanging out with sinners, and then it was the fasting issue. That's what we looked at last week. And now it's the Sabbath. Man, strike one, two, three, strike four they have. Just how can we do something about this? So Jesus has a reply. They ask the question. Jesus gives them the answer. He said, have you not even read? Now these guys know the law, right? They have read. They've read the Bible many times. They interpret it. Of course, the scribes. These guys are legal people. They know it. So he's, have you read this? Of course they have. What David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God, took and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for any to eat except the priest alone, and gave it to his companions. Don't you remember that? Haven't you read that? Of course they had. He knew it. They knew it. Don't you know this? He, you know, he takes the very law of God. It's out of Samuel. Um, he's going to show them authority here. And... That's really what this battle is. It's He has a deep concern for the people and how they have been lied to and deceived. The debate that goes on here is very significant. And of course, if they could have changed their minds and their hearts, then the whole nation would have changed that Sabbath. Evidently, it really didn't do that except for the people who became followers of Christ. He and His disciples practiced certain things that are completely different than the religious people of the time. They have no major concern of what they were doing. I'm sure the first time that uh, Jesus did it, and they're saying, you, you say it's okay to do this? <laughs> really? This is you know, I wonder how many times they've done this. I don't know. But I'm sure Jesus... You know, you know, had done it. He had done all these things, and and so they're going, wow. I, <laughs> if you say it's okay, I, I believe you. Okay, I'm hungry. I'm going to go ahead and eat then. You know, they. You know, he set them free. He's really different, isn't he? I mean, this would be shocking. This this would be totally new. It's new to the disciples, but they're going along with what he said because they trust him. He must be right. Remember we talked about that last week. 
You know, they had their old way of fasting, and they fasted Tuesday, and they fasted Thursday. They were religious in every manner and form. And Jesus comes in and talks about the putting the new wine into new skins rather than old skins because it'll burst and you lose the wine, you lose the the bag, you know, and, and of course, you know, he uses those issues. He uses different models, you know, about the garment and uh, the patch on it. All of that um, was illustrations of showing this is the new period. This is a new day. Jesus is the new covenant. And He possesses a total, unique, new, different authority. And He can evaluate the law. He can interpret the law. And He gives proof of it. And He shows that He is the Lord of the Sabbath. People actually have more value than rules, don't they? Sometimes we have to use common sense when it comes to a law and somebody's best welfare that comes to harm and such. Um, let's look at the story of David for a moment. In 1 Samuel 21, just before we get into the kings, if you happen to see those, 1 Samuel 21, for six verses. Here is David. David is on the run. David is on the run from Saul, the king. David has men with him. Um, and actually, did I say 1 Samuel 21? Okay, actually, when he has, when he's been on the run, the king is jealous of David and it's time to kill him again. It's, you know, he's tried several times. Of course, he's thrown the, the spear at David before. He even threw at his own son, uh, Jonathan, just to show how serious he was about David. And so Jonathan was convinced he's going to kill David. So he helps him, and they, you know, he, he's on the run now. It's chapter 21, verse 1. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came trembling to meet David. They're at the tabernacle there. That's where it's at. They said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? David usually had men around him. David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has commissioned me with a matter, and he has said to me, He said, Wait a minute. The king commissioned him? The king is out to kill him. Well, a little kind of a, a lie. Are we justifying David's lie? No, we're not. Not at all. We are not to lie in any way. But that's not the issue here. And Jesus is not even going to mention it, so I'm not either, okay? If you want the answer later, well, we can talk about that. But at this moment, here's where we're heading. Let one know, let no one know anything about the matter on which I am sending you and with which I have commissioned you and I have directed the young men to a certain place. Now therefore, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. I've got, I've got men with me. We're really, we're starving. The priest answered David and said, there's no ordinary bread on hand. That was what David was asking for, any kind of bread. But there is consecrated bread. Bread that's been set apart. It's the holy bread. If only the young men have kept themselves from women. The priest is saying, okay, if they are... If they're clean, if they, um, their vessels here, uh, 
the bodies of the these young men are clean. They've kept themselves from the, the women. Um, David's men were were ceremonial clean. Yes, they can come right on into the tabernacle, tabernacle area. The priest answered David and said, There is no ordinary bread on hand, but there is consecrated bread. If only the young men have kept themselves from women. David answered the priest and said to him, Surely women have been kept from us as previously when I set out. And the vessels of the young men were holy. Though it was an ordinary journey, how much more than today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him consecrated bread. Didn't they have any other kind of bread? We have the holy bread that was the loaves that was in the tabernacle which have been removed from there and the other bread has been put in place of that. So the bread that they're using is the one that was meant for the priest to eat after it had been in the the holies. Okay? For there was no bread there but the bread of the presence which was removed from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place when it was taken away. And they would do that on the Sabbath. So now it's bread that has been done its place. It's still sanctified, but the priests are to eat that. Only the priests. But these men are starving. They're very hungry. They're weak. They're ran down. So that is the story behind this scene here. If we look in Leviticus in the law, Leviticus 24, verses 5-9, through You shall take fine flour and bake twelve cakes with it. Two tenths of an ephah shall be in each cake. You shall set them in two rows, six to a row, and on the pure gold table before the Lord. You shall put pure frankincense on each row that it may be a memorial portion for the bread, even an offering by fire to the Lord. Every Sabbath day he shall set it in order before the Lord continually. It is an everlasting covenant for the sons of Israel. It shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place. For it is most holy to him from the Lord's offerings by fire, his portion forever. The holy place, it's in the tabernacle, it's the showbread. The bread really is representing what? It's representing who, really? It's representing Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. For years, hundreds and hundreds of years, they celebrated the coming one by having that bread in the holies. Of course, only the priest could go in there. And they would do that and change the bread once a week. So the bread that's now been changed is what David and his men eat. It was really for the priest, but there was nothing else. That's what he did. Is it really lawful? Well, in the truest sense of the word, no. It's not. But this is an occasion where it is okay. It's good. Because you've got men who are starving. They really need food. They need energy. And it's there. We're dealing with compassion. We're dealing with mercy here. And that's what the priest uses. So that's quite an illustration. And here is where Jesus has brought them to. How are they going to argue with this? Because if... Okay, they're condemning Jesus. If they're going to condemn Jesus, then they better be ready to condemn who? David. They they revere David. 
they can't condemn David. He's a national hero, isn't he? He's in the Hall of Faith. They, are they going to reject the testimony of Jesus as He uses Scripture here? He has raised the stakes, hasn't He? He's brought it up high. Jesus rules over the elements of the law. He can do anything He wants. And the, the Sabbath is important, but it's a day, we know it's in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. It was sanctified in the Ten Commandments. But Jesus is pointing to the original intention of the Sabbath. What's the original intention? What does Sabbaton mean? Rest. It means you know, a comfort here. The Sabbath was, and Mark uses a phrase that's not in Luke. If you wanted to turn there, we can. It's in Mark 2, and we'll see what Mark used here. And I think it really helps in this interpretation. Verse 27, Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. You you get both there. But He starts off with man. The Sabbath is made for man. It's not man for the Sabbath. You know, and He's not talking about having heavy burdens here. It's something that, you know, this was instituted for our benefit, is what he's saying. It wasn't a burden. They had shackled themselves with this strict legal system. The original intentions that God had was not what they had. And Sabbath observance should never be at the expense of genuine human need. There was genuine human need here. That was what the priest did. The priest used wisdom as in Samuel there. Isaiah 1.11 They would... It's just like they would uh, swallow camels and gagget gnats. One eleven. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me? Says the Lord, I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. Now He instructed for them to do that. That is part of the law. But they were doing it as a matter of outwardness. It was an outward sign of how religious they were, but it had nothing to do with the heart, did it? So He says, I've had enough of your sacrifices your offerings. I take no pleasure in your worship. And so, here we have uh, the Pharisees at this time. He took no pleasure in their rituals. There's, There's a law of love that comes along that supersedes all of those different kind of laws. There's the royal law that's found in James 2.8. The royal law of love. Their style restricted love and mercy and compassion. Here's a man who um, 
when, when you come up with the next one, you know, about the withering of the hand. Or in this case, in the first five verses, the eating of the food. They were, you know, the disciples were hungry. Of course, Jesus really uses this to, you know, to, to bring it out. He knows what they're thinking and doing. And so we get to the last verse of this first section. He was saying in verse 5, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now Mark had first said that the Sabbath is for us and not the, uh, not us for the Sabbath. And now he balances it out and he shows that, and he uses the word Lord here. Lord of the Sabbath, that's kurios. The Son of Man, that's another key term. Jesus liked to use that. The Son of Man. The Son of God, right? The Son of David. Son of Man, if you go back to Daniel chapter 7, 13, you will see the Son of Man. You'll see uh, also known as, uh, He's the Ancient of Days also. Son of Man actually is Jesus Christ who is man, who is God. Son of Man is the Lord or the, the God, the Kyrios, of the Sabbath. Sabbath is concerned with humanity's welfare. What does Sabbath mean? Rest. It was meant for us. But also to balance it out, the Sabbath is not about us. Sabbath really is about who? God. Now he's showing his compassion that it is for man. But there's something that goes much higher. It is all about God. Our allegiance is not to some kind of legalistic observance of the particular day that they had put forth, but it was allegiance to the Lord of the Sabbath. The Lord, it was to Him. Jesus is interpreting, interpreting the law here. So the battle is over the grain, and you have this dispute, the discussion of the authority. Jesus has it. Pharisees think they have it. Jesus is not just a teacher. Jesus is not just a prophet. He's not just a great example. He's not just a moral leader, is He? All the greats in history, there are a lot of people that can fit into some of those categories. But He possessed authority like no man ever did. He had all authority over laws and institutions. And He can do whatever He wants with the Sabbath. Matter of fact, His whole intention never really was changed. But their intentions are. Is Jesus right or wrong about Himself? Does He reveal the way of God? Or does He pervert the way of God? Well, Pharisees thinks continue to think that he's perverting the way of God. This is God who they're talking to. So he's either one or the other. You have to do something with Jesus, don't you? He's one or the other. Look at Romans 14, Romans 14, verse 5 and 6. I think this explains issues that, let's say, if it be dealing with some kind of legalism or there are some people who are Sabbatarians. Some people say you have to worship on Sabbath. I think of uh, what's this, uh, Seventh-day Adventist, for instance. You've taken the mark of the beast if you worship on Sunday. Like what we're doing here, we've taken the mark of the beast, folks. And so therefore, uh, 
might as well just consider ourselves going to hell. Or do they even believe in hell? Be done away with. I don't know. But the problem is, is they have no liberty. There are many Sabbatarians. There are even Sabbatarian Baptists and there's Sabbatarian, almost every denomination has some kind of... That means to, to worship, worship only on Saturday, the seventh day of the week. And we really are worshiping on the first day of the week. So here is one verse that you can just say to them right off the bat. Romans 14.5 One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. And he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and give thanks to God. could be some explanations for that, but saying people can't tell you that you have to worship on the Sabbath. People can't tell you what you can eat and what you can't eat. Those kind of things. Unless the doctor tells you you better not be eating that. It might be good to listen to. But that's a different thing. Okay, that's part one. Are you ready for part two? I promise we'll go faster because it's the same story. Just a little bit different. He is going to now heal on the Sabbath. They're not going to be eating threshing wheat here. <laughs> He's going to be healing. On another Sabbath, verse 6, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and there was a man there whose right hand was withered. Well, imagine that. Jesus knows that. This completes a sequence of three controversies that started way back in chapter 5, verse 33. Verse 33, you have fasting. Disciples of John often fast and offer prayers. Disciples of Pharisees do the same. So there's fasting. That's what we looked at last week. Now, we we just saw the other one, the working on the Sabbath. First five verses. And so now, we come to this third one. And it's all dealing with the new way. The fasting. He doesn't fast like they did. They don't fast. It was time of the bridegroom. He doesn't do the same kind of rules on the Sabbath and they eat they eat from the grain fields on the Sabbath probably walked more than half a mile on the Sabbath I wonder how far the Pharisees walked to get there to get him caught they made their own rules on that probably often wondered how in the, what did people do when they lived a couple three miles away did they not go to the synagogue I don't know did they get a free pass or they just have to stay home. Or maybe on the time before they came and maybe stayed there with friends or relatives. Maybe that would be more logical. But God didn't make that law either, did He? They made it very hard for people. And they loved it. How, how uh, religious that you can look, right? Now, for one thing, we see Jesus teaching He's teaching in the synagogue. He does that a lot. He's still going to the synagogue and he's still teaching and, and they allow him to come in there and teach. So that's what Luke starts with in this section. Healing play, takes place on another Sabbath, Sabbaton. Jesus sets the stage on purpose. I think he set this exactly. He knew the withered man was going to be there and there he is in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Uh, it's one thing to 
you know, the Sabbath that they were doing. But in the synagogue, he's going to heal. Pretty bad. What a bad thing to do. He's going to heal this man right in front of them on the Sabbath day in the synagogue. <laughs> he's going to do that. He's not scared of him. He's ministering. Every move that he makes, they're watching. They're really scoping in on him. And by the way, the, the word that is used here is it, this observing that they, they have. It's, his, it's really significant. Because the word there is parateronto. It means spying. Really checking it out. Really examining to spy on them. And it's sinister because the intention of this, the motive, they're scrutinizing, they're looking, they're magnifying this for a reason to accuse him. They can't wait. They want him to do that. And they know he's going to do it. He knows what he's going to do and he knows what they're thinking. And they're just waiting and they're really checking this out. So in um, Luke 6... They're watching him closely, find a reason to accuse him, but he knew what they were thinking. Jesus knows the thoughts of his opponents. Jesus knows the thoughts of everyone. At least at, at this point here, that has given him um, to be able to, uh, the knowledge to be able to figure out and know what they're thinking. God always knows what we're thinking, He knows what we're going to think in the future today. He knows what we're going to do. We have no idea. We don't know what we're going to be thinking two hours from now. He already knows. Boom, just like that. And he knew it before I even said it. That's the thing. Private thoughts. They have private thoughts here. You look in Luke 5.22. Same thing. Verse 21. You know, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, they haven't said anything, but He knows their reasonings. They're looking at each other. They know what they're thinking. Jesus knows. That's what's happening here again. And He turns their secret challenge that's private into a public hearing. It's open. And there's a legal question that Jesus gives. But he knew what they were thinking and he said to the man with the withered hand, so he gives the answer. They don't even ask him, but he knows what they're saying. And he said to the man, get up and come forward. And the withered man, I'm not even so sure he was there to get healed. Maybe he's heard about this. It could very well be, but maybe not. He's there to worship on the Sabbath. That withered hand is like he's paralyzed. It's uh, it's like useless. As a matter of fact, it's it's withered. It could be uh, it's drained of no. There's no strength in it whatsoever. He can't lift it up. He can't go like that. And Jesus told him to put your hand forward. Yeah, right. I haven't done that in years. Maybe he had been born that way. And, of course, Jesus tells him to do that and he does it, right? But that's that's the idea. He's paralyzed. And the point right here is gotten to immediately. Uh, it's really loaded with irony. I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? 
to save life or to destroy it. He's, he's got them again. <laughs> he's got them. He's going to prove it. We know what their motives are. They've been watching Him closely. He exposes their desire. Nobody has heard what they have said. But Jesus exposes them in front of everybody. And He staged this. This is He's doing this right on purpose, right in front of them. They plot harm, really, on the Sabbath. If Jesus doesn't do it, it's, it's like He's letting this man continue in this when He could take care of it. And He could do that, but no. He wants to meet a need here, too. So who's violating the Sabbath? That's really what Jesus is saying. There's a real sting in this question. Especially when the man is healed. Miraculously. Now we've already seen miraculous healings introduced by Luke chapter 5, verse 13. You have the leper, and he was cleansed. Then you have chapter 5, verse 24 and 25, and you have the paralytic who was let down from the roof. And so here we are again, the man who has a withered hand, and he's told to stretch out his hand. Well, I would if I could, right? Well, Jesus says to, to stretch it out. That's what He says. He told Him first to get up and come forward, so evidently He has no trouble walking. He got up, came forward. Jesus said to him, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or do harm on the Sabbath to give life or destroy it? After looking around at them at all, He's looking around. He said to him, Stretch out your hand. He did it. Okay, Jesus just worked. He healed. What did He do to heal this man? Well, He said, stretch out your hand. He just worked by a few short words. Okay, that does it. Okay. Oh, I can't believe Jesus would do that. By a little brief command. The rage happens. How will such a good act be received? This was a good thing. He broke their Sabbath. He didn't break God's Sabbath. Hard hearts react in fury. The word there is they were filled with rage. It's anoia. <laughs> It's a, like a it's irrational. They become irrational. They it's blinding to them. They are so raged. It's insanity. And it is. It is insanity that they deny such a good work here. Jesus has just proven what he has just said. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He did it. Such a Sabbath violator that he is. He healed a sinner on the Sabbath against their interpretations. They are really confounded. What can they do? What can they do to Jesus? They, they have no clue. What are they going to do? Now let's take this to us. When we're in sin, and we resist what God is, what we already know it to be His truth, when we resist that truth, do you know we're like these guys here in a sense? Because we're butting heads against Him. We really need to reconsider the route that we're taking. Otherwise, we're playing the same game as, as the Pharisees. They're going to go ahead and do something about this even though they know God is absolutely right. 
Isn't that the way it is when we sin? We have been tempted and now we give in to sin and we realize that, okay, I really shouldn't be going down this road. How about our anger? Do we have anger? Yeah. Is it right to be angry? Yeah. Oh, did you hear that? Is it right? Yeah, only when you don't sin. Usually, when you're angry, what do you usually do? You usually sin because it's not about God's glory, it's about you. You, you got offended. Whatever. You just got mad. These guys are mad. I mean, they're out of their minds mad. What are we going to do? They didn't respond in the way that God has in mind for people. What's best for them? They didn't repent from their actions and their thoughts. They discussed together what they might do to Jesus with this rage. Oh, they're really filled with it now. They did not support what was new. Remember the wineskins we talked about last week? This whole idea of actually walking in the fields and picking food off there, off the, in the fields, threshing and such. And now, this healing, they're against it. There's nothing more deadly to godliness than a critical spirit. I would suggest to us all, if we have an anger problem, you have anger when you drive your car, you need to stop right there. Pull over and say, God, forgive me. This is not what you want your son, your daughter to be doing. We get mad at somebody and start yelling at them or being critical. What are we to do? Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. This is where this comes into play now. We're bringing in something that should bring into our lives. We know the story of the Pharisees and we can blast them all we want because they're wrong. But are we somewhat pharisaical by having a critical spirit? A critical nature? There's a story and I close with this. There were a couple of friends that were going to go out hunting. And one of them had a real critical spirit all the time. He's always finding fault with everything. You know that. You know those people. And so anyway, this guy's going to go out hunting this critical spirit man with his friend. And his friend has a new hunting dog. Of course, the, the man that always criticizes says, doesn't look like much of a dog. They're walking through the woods and they come to the edge of a lake. Flock of birds flying over. Boy, the guns start firing. They cut loose and here's one of the birds falls out of the sky into the lake. Immediately the dog runs towards the lake, gets onto the lake. Is he running forward? He, now, bear with me here. He runs on top of the lake. He's running on top of the lake. His little paws are barely even touching any of the water there, the top of the water. He crosses the lake, picks up the dead bird, brings it all the way back as he's still running on the top of the water. And he lays the bird at the feet of the hunters. Of course, the dog owner said, what do you think of my dog now? The man replies with a critical spirit dumb dog. He can't even swim. (laughs) Critical people are like that. 
You can't make them happy no matter what you do. doesn't matter what you say. They're always looking to criticize. Did you see what happened here with these critics? Let's get away from the critical spirit. Let's see how God can make good out of those opportunities that seem so bad against us and turn it into a glory for Him. They started discussing what they might do to Jesus. The product of rage is often folly. It's absolute stupidness, ridiculousness as we put on display our rage. Well, the rage definitely uh, is opposition. Jesus did good to others. There's no reason why this should be happening. So by this healing, Jesus shows that He not only has power over disease, but He has power over the Sabbath. He is our authority, isn't He? Let's pray. Father, we're thankful so much for this word of truth that You've given. We know full well that the Pharisees were wrong and Jesus is absolutely right. Help us to take this lesson and that we would not be pharisaical in being hypocrites, but that we would show the very royal law of love in our hearts all the time. Even though it goes against the grain of nature. Help us, Lord, to be brought into the image of Jesus Christ as we live here on earth. Help us to think, to reason, to act like Him. Thank You for this day, a glorious day to worship You as it is a gift to be able to worship You on a day with other people of Yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.